Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Welcome to The Circuit Podcast, and this one we've got a special episode. This is our best of, where we're going to talk about the best of 2021 as we move the uh, podcast into season two, which is in 2022. And one of the things we decided to do was to go back through the archives. What are we, 50 episodes now, John? 50 episodes in. Can you believe it? That's amazing. So we're going to go back through the archives. We're going to pull the top episodes, right? Five? Five, yeah. So 10% of season one. Okay, so top five episodes. Uh, we're going to pull them together. Uh, into one mega episode in order to set the stage for the new year. Uh, hopefully you'll have some favorites there, but just in case you missed an episode, uh, you know, you're going to get the best of right here. It's awesome, right? What a concept. And I think there's going to be a few surprises in here. This is a, this, this is a solid top five, but uh, the like I say, I think there's still going to be a few surprises. Okay, well, so speaking of surprises, I think we should let people know about the behind-the-scenes discussions that we had. So the question was, are we going to tell everybody up front what the top five, not only what the top five were, but in which order, right? Or were we going to keep it a surprise? So maybe if you are a longtime Circuit Podcast listener, you already have your own internal list of what you think. Uh, but they, like you said, it could be a few surprises. Yeah, you know what? I'm thinking there's even people going to be making this into a drinking game, right? <laughs> you know, if we, <laughs> we, we're, we're setting it up perfectly. You know, maybe we should have brought this out in time for New Year's Eve. Well, what, what, one of the things, you know, I, I hate is that because I, I, I'm traveling so much, sometimes I miss some of the episodes being able to participate. And so I'm going to be really disappointed here if I'm not in any of the top five episodes. Here's another thing that the listeners don't know is that you don't know also. I know That's correct. I, I know what the uh, the five are in order. And so I'm going to I'm going to give you one little spoiler. And that is out of the three co-hosts alongside our main anchor, Pelham, one of us doesn't feature on any of the five podcasts. <laughs> oh man, if that's me, I'm gonna break that. You know, oh. <laughs> this episode might not see the light of day. <laughs> so, what do you think? You you ready to jump in? Uh, I am ready. So, the one thing I do want to say though is I would like to thank everybody for supporting us, um, both uh, the North American Bodyguard Association, the British Bodyguard Association, and the Circuit Magazine, and it's. Uh, uh, and it's podcast. We appreciate all the support. It got us through 50 episodes of season one, but we got some really, really exciting things planned for season two. So stay tuned. Yeah, well said. Well said. And you know, if you're listening to this and if you think you've got something to offer on the podcast and you want to jump on, then drop us a line. We want to hear from you. I'm not going to read the email address out. <laughs> Never get that right. So without further ado, <laughs> let's jump into the top five episodes of 2021. Here we go. Okay, so starting with number five, going through them in reverse order. First up, we've got essential OSINT skills for the executive protection specialist. This episode was with Pete Jenkins came out back in October of last year. Do you remember it, Elijah? I do. And here's what I like to say is that Pete has been a longtime contributor to the Circuit Magazine. So it was great having him on the podcast. And he definitely delivered a couple of jewels. So uh, that was a good episode. Yeah, you know, uh, Pelham's line is, you know, friend of the industry, friend of the Circuit Magazine, right? But in, in this case, Pete really yeah, he, is. He Pete's does qualify, been, for sure. You know, contributing to the magazine almost from day one, uh, you know, 13 plus years ago. So, you know, definitely big advocate. And this was a great episode. And Sean was in this episode. So we know that's down to it's either me or you. Oh, man, this that's is like a, a, like a death match here. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, without further ado, let's get into it. Let's hear from Pete. Open source intelligence for the EP professional 
Is it something that everyone has to do or is it only for a few select specialists? We're going to be talking with Pete Jenkins of ISS Training and we're going to be looking at its applicability, not just in an academic sense, but in everyday operations. What about the people out there that know nothing about this topic, be completely uninitiated? <laughs> what, what, what should they know? I think a lot of people will, will Google something. They'll, they'll look at a person, but then they'll, they'll just put in their first name, their second name. And I think this is what people lack. They just go straight to Google, bang something in, hoping they're going to come out with the results. And they'll get 43 million hits when we don't want that. We want five or six hits on that subject. So it's knowing how to minimize those hits and be a bit more accurate with our, with our research. As long as you can work a computer or a search engine and you've got an inquisitive mind, you don't stop. As soon as one door closes, you look at another, you think outside the box. What else can I use? What other tools do I have to find that information, the information you require? The other thing to add to that, and Sean's correct, you won't find everything on the internet about a place or about a person. So it's getting that background and then actually putting your boots on the ground and possibly corroborating that with it. A lot of people think open source is great. It will tell you everything you need to know. It doesn't. You've got to work the other half out yourself um, by other means. So uh, is it possible to be searching for open source intelligence and suddenly stumble across non-open source sources, um, which, which are perhaps not allowed? Is, is that a likely scenario? Well, if you find it, I would say by virtue of that fact, it's open. <laughs> but um, on a recent exercise we did, we had to identify the, um, the captain of a certain vessel. We found a spreadsheet in Denmark that listed all this personal private information about a lot of boat owners that own vessels in the UK, um, which was totally unexpected and actually probably a breach of the Data Protection Act. Um, because this this document that you could learn, um, download as a spreadsheet contained a lot of personal and private information from people's names, their addresses, their telephone numbers and their email addresses, um, which was quite a surprise. But it was there. It was on the Internet, but it was put out by another country. So, yeah, you can find things that you probably shouldn't be able to. Why do you think that today's EP professional needs this? Surely it's going to be one person in the team uh is is it that everyone will be faced with needing to conduct some osint research at some stage but why ep and why osint uh, various reasons i mean if you've got pressure groups or um, activist sites you can monitor those for anything that might go against your principle um, if you're looking at live some areas um, some towns some cities you can actually go on their website and you can dial into their cctv so you can see what the street um, cameras are looking at and actually get an updated view. Um, there's a various tweet maps where you can, let's say you've got um, an incident in, let's say, uh, Regent's Park. You could then go onto tweet map or snap map and various other sites and actually look to see who's, who's tweeting and who's snapchatting from that exact um, site. Um, and it may give you a heads up or some of any incidents or anything that's taking place there. It might be a march, it could be um, a, a conference and, and what have you. So it can give you things live. Um, another good example is we, we conducted um, a surveillance on two characters in the summer. They came from abroad on a ferry and by monitoring their social media, we knew exactly where they were on their journey throughout their drive on the ferry when they got off the ferry. We also knew what vehicle they were driving. And when they attended this, um, this event, we knew exactly what we were looking for. We knew exactly what they looked like and what they were dressed in. We knew their vehicle. And when they talked to various people at this event, we were able to photograph those people that they're connected to and then turned it back on its head and searched social media. And we actually found out the identities of all the people they were connected with at this particular event. So in conjunction with um, conventional surveillance, we're also using open source at the same time to back up the team, really, um, and, and gather more intelligence. And alongside that as well, what I can find out, or the uninitiated with a little bit of training can find out, if someone's targeting you, it's pretty scary what someone can do for a two-day course to mm. a professional. And I think that makes you look then and think, Jesus, yes, I do need to look at my security and stop posting my things all over the place. I don't use the same username, passwords, wherever it is. And you give a bit more thought to what you're putting out there, your footprint, I guess. 
Mm. Yeah, I agree. We, I mean, early, earlier this year, we had to trace an individual and we knew his Facebook details, his Instagram um, <clears throat> and Snapchat. And it, it was quite good, really, for us because he liked to take selfies. And we demonstrate this on the course that this, this character, we had to find out where he was. And we established he was in London. And by taking the selfies, we took five or six different selfies and family photographs establish what part of London it was. And then literally I spent five hours on Google Earth walking the streets, digitally walking the streets of this, um, this postcode area, looking for these five or six different properties where, which were in the background. And I established that four of them were all on the same street. Um, and that gave us a great heads up because over a four year period, he'd been photographed on that same street. So then we could go back to the client and said, this is where he is. This is what we're up to now. We know exactly that he's in London. We know he's on this street. Do you want to go further and actually locate exactly where he is? So, um, yeah, just purely by people putting pictures up that they think is quite innocent. They're actually telling us quite a lot of, um, giving us a lot of intelligence. Um, although it's a selfie. It's what's in the background. It's, um, it's what's in the foreground and everything else. It's a simple hack to find out when somebody's birthday is with Facebook. You go onto their profile, you search mm. within that profile for the word birthday. And then all of a sudden you've got all these people going, happy birthday, Pete, happy birthday, Pete. And it's like <laughs> the whole world knows my birth date now. Um, not that I use it as a password or anything, but, um, but it's just one little pivot point to take us somewhere else if we're doing our searches. I think for CPOs and, and what have you, they should be do Googling themselves, I should say doing research on themselves, and like Sean said, finding out where they've been mentioned on the internet, whether it's um, a social media handle or they've been named or their photograph. Um, because the main reason is recruiters also carry out open source um, research. So if, I've, if I'm recruiting for a surveillance operator or an instructor or an investigator, um, and I get 20, 30 CVs, what's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to put their name into a search engine, the date of birth or the company that they worked for. And I'm going to do a quick sift first. And if I see somebody dancing naked on a table in a pub, um, then they're not going to be the person because, I mean, in the CP role, what if your principal does that? Um, you know, searches one of the, um, the security team. It just backfires. So, yeah, you need to clean up the, your presence on the internet for the benefit of recruiters that don't, that won't dismiss you or for the benefit of your um, uh, your principal that might decide to do a quick search because they're bored. It's a great point there, Pete. If you are working in the, in the industry, you have to sell yourself as a professional. So what is it, whatever is on your social pages, that also needs to speak that you're a professional. And, and I have actually seen people um, lose jobs as well from things that they've posted. You're on principal's yachts and posting your pictures of them doing whatever they're doing and people have actually lost positions because of this so yeah for sure you need to keep an eye on what you're putting out there okay that was number five that set the scene now in at number four and this is going to answer the other big question of which co-host doesn't feature at all in this podcast <laughs> in at number four it was the celebrity protection deep dive with Anton Kalajan and the one and only oh, that's Elijah, me, Elijah Shaw. Shaw. I made it. That's right. You did. <laughs> wow, John, you got eliminated from the island, huh? I know. So you know what? Season two, I'm going to up my game. I've got to get into the end <laughs> of the year wrap up, right? <laughs> but, but, but I do have to say this, though. None of this is really going to be possible in terms of the circuit podcast hitting the airwaves without the work that you do behind the scenes. Oh, well, thanks. You got me blushing. I know, right? It's a sentimental moment, end of the year kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but in terms of this episode, though, this was a really good one. I, I enjoyed talking to Anton. He really has a ton of experience in the industry. But what I love it is that his delivery is, is very matter of fact. It doesn't have a lot of the fluff and the, the hocus pocus that, you know, some kind of put on their exploits and, and, and what the craft is. And so I, I really just like the fact that he could talk about the realities of it. Of course, it's a, a wonderful segment of the industry speaking about celebrity protection and some exciting things. But, you know, th there's a reality of it that if you're going to do this business, you're going to have to take it seriously. 
uh, and you're going to have to put the work in. And I think he did a great job of illustrating that. Yeah, totally. You know, and one of, one of the things we're joking now about me not appearing on any of these podcasts, but truly, uh, you know, when I'm not on, obviously it takes a lot of pressure off and I just get to listen to it, uh, you know, like the rest mm. of the listeners and, and I enjoy it a lot. And in particular, this episode is one of my own personal favorites. I really enjoyed this one. And I think the fact that you were there along with Pelham uh, to interview Anton meant it just had such a great flow. We pulled out so many gems. And as somebody, you know, who's been in the industry a long time, but never worked in celebrity protection, this this was eye opening. And I really loved the debate in here about whether or not. And I think this is kind of an unintentional uh, conversation, but whether or not EP is easier than celebrity protection. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Maybe we should devote an entire episode on about just that and we really get some traction there. Yeah. This is this needs the, the views will go up, buddy. All right, let's let's jump into it then. Let's hear from Anton on the subject of celebrity protection. Celebrity protection and EP. Everybody is in the public eye. We're here with Anton Kalajin, CEO and founder of Guardian Security, and we're gonna be exploring this topic because obviously. Even for the people not in EP, we have con preconceptions about what a bodyguard is. It's evidently someone looking after a celebrity. Um, but we know, of course, EP is much, much uh, broader than that. But Anton, what is wrong with the way the industry is at the moment in, with regards to protecting celebrities? How, how long do we have on this podcast? I mean, uh, you know, Elijah and me, we, we both you know, been doing this for a very long time. And we, I think we both can agree, it's just changed dramatically with the impact of social media. Uh, that's been a big thing that's been wrong with cele uh, celebrity protection. I mean, the way we were taught, the way I was taught was stay out of the frame, stay out of the public eye. Um, you know, uh, don't make it about you. Uh, you gotta be, if now, you know, with the social impact, everybody's a celebrity. So I think that with that, uh, we have seen a rise of new types of uh, Instaguards that are out there. Social media is allowing fans to become bodyguards. And, uh, you know, it's allowing access to clients that no one's had before. So they're a lot more accessible. And, uh, you know, you got a lot of people that are in it for the wrong reasons. Instead of trying to stay in the shadows or, or, or trying to really not make a name for yourself based on your artist name, let them be who they are. Uh, don't write their coattails. Uh, be your own man or woman. Um, I think that that's a big issue with the, the bodyguard world uh, right now. Specifically in the world of celebrity bodyguarding, what do you want the uninitiated out there to know? Even the people that think they know, but that they don't actually know. I think in the, in the security world in general, I, don't, I, I think that celebrity protection gets a black eye. Um, I think that they, have, they, they get a bad rap. Uh, I think they should know that, um, as far as the security world should know how much really goes into celebrity protection, they'd be amazed. I've done, I do both. We do both here at Guardian, EP and CP, um, and other divisions as well. But when we walk into an EP account, uh, I don't want to say it's easier because that's that discredits the EP world, and I don't I don't want to do that. But but it is easier because you know most of the time these guys are not noticeable. You make some some excellent points, and with celebrity protection, we end up getting a black eye, but it's a black eye we give ourselves. So it takes a very specialized skill. The problem is, I think, is that. Sometimes protectors have a hard time communicating that mm -hmm. to others. And so they go about it the wrong way because they think for marketing wise, you know, for me to get the next opportunity, the next job, the next business, I've got to put this image out there. So what would you say to that? Yeah, I think that image is BS right now. I mean, I think you could put up anything you want uh, uh, and put anything you want out there. And there's no, there's no spell checks. There's no fact checkers. Well, um, I, I talked about this with my cousin. He's a veteran. He's, you know, Purple Heart recipient. Uh, and we were having a cigar by the fire at his house in Tampa. We were just talking about, uh, I was talking about, I was talking exactly what we're talking about, Elijah and, and Phil, about why, why this angers me, why people are just putting up smoke, smoke, smoke signals and, and getting jobs and really they're not qualified and, and there should be some kind of fact-checking system. And, and he was talking about stolen valor. And he's, he said that there's websites that handle that for them. And I thought that's brilliant and that, that needs to happen. And I feel like the same needs to happen in our industry it would be great if we had 
fact checkers out there. And so when a guy's pushing out content or pushing his name out, really, did you really do that? Let, let's find out. You know, on, on with, with corporate protection, they've got some layers. They've got an HR department. You know, they, they've got people that, you know, have some established business practices that know, okay, we need to, to, to like I said, to fact check this. We need to call these references, et cetera. On our end, because so many people are in the entertainment industry and maybe they're more creatives than they are, you know, businessmen and women, what they'll do is they'll see a visual, like you said, you know, this 15 second Instagram clip or, you know, five or six Facebook photos of, of someone standing next to someone famous and they'll go, yep, works for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, so that does become a challenge for sure. It's, a, it's all BS, man. It's all smoke and mirrors. And I, I, do, I do feel like people need to do some more background checking on the EP side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just today, uh, you know, I, I sometimes I get upset when I'm like, oh, I need his bio. Hey, he's my guy. I'm telling you, he's good. Right. But I can't be like that. I understand uh, the upper brass wants to see who this is and they're going to do some background checks on the EP side. And, 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 and I've learned to appreciate that and not look at it like, why, why are you questioning me more? It's like, yeah, let's show you who we got. Let's show you our cards where the CP world, I don't think that's happening. I want to dig in uh, to one other piece there where you were talking about earlier when you said, you know, because you're, you're so immersed with these celebrity clients and the challenges that are presented with them. And then you also work in a corporate environment and to a degree that's easier. And, and I can relate to what you were saying and I knew what you were getting at, but can I get you to, you know, for the listeners to kind of expand on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Elijah. When I, when I say easier, I don't, you know, but I don't mean, uh, it doesn't sound like what it, what it sounds like. I'm not saying, ah, it's a piece of cake. That's why I prefaced it when I, when I mentioned it, I want to say. And the re, uh, I think EP is difficult. It was difficult for me in the beginning. And I only got into EP about four years ago. Uh, I've been a CP time my entire career. Um, but I learned that there's so much similar though. There's so many similarities in EP and CP. EP is difficult too in its own way. You got to do, uh, you know, the way you dress, the way you speak, your, your soft skills need to improve. Uh, whereas on the CP side, maybe your soft skills weren't so clean. Uh, you know, you got, you got to cover up your tattoos. You got to, you got to, you know, put lipstick on a pig. Uh, you got to do things, <laughs> you got to do things a little more uh, professionally. I'm not saying that CP is not professional, but you got to step it up on the EP side. In the celebrity protection area, you get this kind of stress test. You know, you get the plan changes and they've got to make an adjustment. And we thought the detail was going to run for three days. Now it's going to run for three weeks, you know, so you, yeah. you and, and so if the agent's personality can deal with that, when they shift over, they get an assignment in the corporate sector, it does feel less stressful because there's less spinning plates. And so for those that have the right temperament, they can really shine in that area because again, they, they've been kind of battle tested. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so that, I think that's a good way to put it. And you, 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 you nailed it. I mean, but not knowing what tomorrow brings is what I've been doing my whole career with the EP thing. It's great because uh, you have a detailed list on a roster of bullet sheets. You're going to pick up a vehicle here. You're going to go there. This is, you know, this is when you, they're going to go to church or they're going to go to school. You got it all lined up. And when the CP world is just like you're a renegade and, you know, you just got to roll with the punches. If I'm a close protection or executive protection uh, colleague out there from, you know, the, the, the listenership, I'm thinking, how on earth could I start? So how do you get into it? Is, is there a concerted effort you can make or are you just going to be plucked from the ranks of our community? You know, I can only speak for myself. Uh, I, it was a little bit of the right place at the right time for me. Um, you know, growing up down here in South Florida, you know, South Beach to Palm Beach, it's all club life is a big thing. So I was a bouncer in my young years, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old bouncing. And um, I, and I would they would take me from club to club and I would kind of clean up the club. You know, if the club was bad at a bad rep, I'd go there and I'd fix it. And then I'd go from club to club to club. And uh, the next club would pay more, and the next club would pay more, and that's how I work. Um, I had an artist come in, come into town at one of the clubs that was a concert venue, and this artist was a very high risk guy, and, and you know he's he's been through a bunch of you know it was a very tough crowd. You had the gang unit there, you had the helicopters, you had, you had to close streets off, and uh, that's the kind of element this artist brought. And this is I'm talking about 2003. I did I did the job. I, I executed. Well, our, our team executed perfectly in that club. I mean, we just kept the club very clean. And then, and then the artist's manager, his road manager, was like, hey, I got to let you know, this is the first venue we've been to in a long time where we've had zero problems. There's usually fights break out, this, that. Like, like, like I tell you, you got a good security team. And, and my, my boss, who was running the, comp, the, the, the concert uh, venue, pointed at me and he goes, oh, that's because of this guy. 
So then that's how my story started. So then the road manager is like, hey, we're shooting a music video down here in Miami. Could you help us out? And I was like, if it's cool with my boss, I'll go. So he's like, yeah, it's cool. So then I ended up going and that parlayed into we're going on tour. And then we did a tour and then that's how I started. So it was the right place at the right time, but it's not just that. It's everything, all my experience that led up to that point. And it comes from many years of working hard. And that's why every job I have, I, I, I try to be the best at it because you never know who's looking and anybody trying to get into the industry, I would give that advice. You know, whether you're protecting some rich guy that wants to take his uh, a girlfriend to South Beach for whatever, that doesn't matter. Uh, treat everybody like they're high risk, treat them all, uh, you know, with, with a Nick glove and work your ass off. And I think that's what's going to get you noticed sooner than later. I mean, that's my story. So as your role as a business owner, you know, just to kind of drill down a little bit, you're making decisions off of who you're going to bring on your company, who you're going to recommend on the detail or, or just refer to somebody. Um, are you basing this off a of skill or for something that you see in their character? And then you're saying, I can teach them the skill. It's character to me. It's character to me. I, I mean, you know, we've got almost 400 people here and, and uh, on the EPCP side, there's only about 40 of us. And, and um, we keep that table, 37 to be exact. We keep that table very, very close to our chest. You know, we, the seat of that table is a big deal. So, you know, oftentimes I'll get asked uh, by random people they want work. And I'm like, nah, you know, you got to start with our event division, work as an event security guard, work your way up. And it takes about a year and a half, two years for you to get really to the point to where we trust you here to go out and represent us and do well and with our clients' lives. But uh, I can train them. If they've got what it takes, I can train them. And if they, and if I feel like they don't have the right character, I, I defer to my guys. What do you guys think about RJ? Oh, you know, don't tell me. I like the kid. You know, he does drop everything and come into, but he does do this and we'll work on whatever he does wrong. And as a, as a team, it takes a village to, to raise a child, right? So that's the kind of mentality that we have here. Yeah, I, I think you nailed that. You know, one of the things that I think people should do is identify where they want to be more than just saying, hey, I, you know, I want to be successful or I want to make a lot of money. You know, say, you know, in five years, I want to be doing this. And then take a realistic assessment and say, can I do this? You know, I'm sure so many people look at you and they go, oh, I, I want to do what he's doing. And they don't yeah. think about the two decades you spent getting to that point. And, yeah. you know, and so one of the challenges is, is that when when they see someone who's who's, you know, at the top of the game, you know, operating well, you know, working full time, they try and skip steps. And a lot of times and, and I'm sure, you, you know, you know, this is that when you skip steps, you start making choices that you wouldn't normally make and some of those are less than honorable choices and right. you know and, and then and then you end up putting yourself in a position where people can't trust you or you get a bad reputation and then you're forced to take whatever job comes your way so it's kind of this self-defeating cycle you put yourself in by trying to jump ahead yeah no that's a good point no, no shortcuts in life right and i, I agree with that totally you you are you are having a shortcut, which might end up in not only ruining your reputation, but somebody getting killed. Sure. I, I feel like if, if I have any advice to give anybody getting in, this is exactly what you just said as well, Elijah. Don't skip steps. Don't take shortcuts. It's it, it's going to potentially ruin your career or get somebody hurt. Mm, that was amazing, bro. Uh, I'm in agreement. So thank you, brother, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Okay, so another great episode there from Anton, Elijah, and Pelham. And next up, at number three, we've got the Tactical Medic and their place in the CP team back from October last year. And this one nice. is with Christian Zerkowitz. Do you remember this one, Elijah? I do. One, because I really enjoyed the topic. Uh, I think, you know, when we get into the, the, um, the area of, like, medic is not as sexy in in terms of our industry but it's it's so needed and it was important to kind of you know touch on a lot of those pieces that we did in the, in the episode uh and this is one of those where i wasn't on it so i got to listen like you just mentioned from behind the scenes here and and i did i, I learned quite a bit as well yeah you know and uh chris is so passionate about this subject i mean we've mm -hmm. uh we've had him on a few events and workshops and so on and it was essential that we got him on the podcast just to get somebody who knows the subject but enthuses so much passion for it as well and and his own story that brought him to becoming mm -hmm. a, a tactical mm -hmm. medic and uh, sure. to being such a big advocate of it i mean i think it's such a great story and we're going to hear a little bit of that now 
in this uh, short clip from the episode. Yeah, this one is definitely deserved to be on the list, so good stuff. Yeah, let's hear from Chris. Embedding a tactical paramedic, why it matters and why perhaps not enough teams take it seriously enough. We are very fortunate to be joined by Christian Zerkovitz, an embedded tactical paramedic at Amarant Academy. What do you think is the problem as it stands in the industry with regards to tactical medicine? I believe that today um, people think that tactical medicine is just a catchphrase and people tend to take off the tactical part when going to, to study this type of medicine and they go in straight into the medicine because it's much easier to teach medicine to non-tacticians than it is to teach the tactical part. So we'll have a lot of people that believe that they're tactical medics while in the end they are just medics and this causes a problem when things actually go and hit the fan. And and, and what about you? Um, you know, where does your passion for this uh, skill set come from? Somebody once asked me a question. He said, Chris, if something goes bad, you know, what can you do to help me? And I said, well, you know, I can rush you to a hospital and tell you to stop bleeding. Um, and then, of course, I'm quick on the draw, so nothing will happen. And then this, this colleague of mine said, well, Chris, all of that is great, but I'm a tactical medic. And if you get shot in the ass, excuse my French, then, you know, I will be able to help you right here, right now, while still keeping the bad guys away. And that, that put me, it started uh, to make me think how I could be in the industry for, at that time, well over 10 years and not know anything about medicine. And I realized that I, I just had been very lucky and I, I wanted to stop pushing my luck and become professional. I see a lot of people on different teams, they have a big bag of carrying all sorts of fancy things but they don't know how to use them. You know, if you don't know how to use it, get, get it out, learn how to do the basics well, you know, get the kit that you know how to use and make sure you can use it when that call comes. Definitely. I mean, you know, having carrying a lot of kit is, is really good, but in the end, are you going to be able to use that kit in the, in the setting that you're working in? And the paramedic is going to be reluctant to leave with a lot of kit because well, they will say, well, I need all this to stabilize my patient. And he is absolutely right. But that is because a paramedic is working under the ideal conditions that are provided to him. This is also the reason why a paramedic will not go into a building that is burning. He will wait for the patients to get out. Now, as a tactical paramedic, of course, we will not make tactical mistakes and we will not do things to put our own lives at risk. However, we will be a better judge of how far we can go before our lives get into a risk. If you look at the tech protocol today that's being taught to everybody, anything that's medical needs to stay way outside in the cold zone or maybe the, the, the warm zone. But if I have bleeding patients and I, I have people pinned down, they need me there and then. Otherwise, I am going to be a coroner and not a paramedic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. So do you think everyone within an AP team, CP team, they should all have tactical medical skills? Or do you think that dilutes their primary purpose and CP role? I believe that every executive protection agent should have the basics of tactical medicine, um, the, the basic TCCC skills. Something that the, um, well, the US military, when they rolled out the TCCC program said, we need a program that we can teach to every soldier. Why? Well, because we cannot make everybody into paramedics. Not everybody needs to be a paramedic, but everybody needs the basics. Everybody needs to be able to keep the paramedic as far away as possible from the actual action, but keep them alive, keep the patients alive long enough for them to get them there. We need more medical knowledge um, within the teams and professional teams, I believe, should invest in that and not just a five yearly course but if you if you go shooting every single day why not add a medical drill into your in in the end of your shooting class just as well it it'll take you five minutes but it will keep your skills sharp yeah for sure i agree with everything you've just said there i mean medical skills is one of the main skills that you suffer skill fade from if you're not practicing it if you're not going through your drills and carrying out further training um, and you see, you see a lot of people they'll do their their course 
and the expiry date will be in three years' time. But if you don't do any, you know, further on training during that, you know, you're going to lose a lot of that. You don't lose the skill set, but it's not as fresh as what it would be if you're carrying out regular training. And are you seeing an emergence of you know, tactical mental health medicine where the medic, tactical medic, can provide guidance, advice to these guys who are maybe suffering from PTSD or giving some advice post-incident to help them with deal with trauma? Well, what I have noticed is that um, fortunately things are changing a little bit and um, having a, somebody who is considered very uh, versatile in medicine on the team, people will trust that person more. So, you know, you can have an EP team that everybody did their TCCC training. They went through the three days and everything is all good and, and, and peachy. But you have somebody that they call doc because, well, the guy, you know, has done six weeks of study or six months of studying. Um, and when something happens, so post-incident, um, if this person is, is open to it, he will at least recognize the signs of, of somebody needing help and needing support. And I believe it's a big role um, because if you are a technical paramedic, then you have been running through these trainings with your guys. So you know, you understand, you know, the, the alpha male dominance in, in our industry and you understand that nobody wants to cry about what just happened or nobody wants to talk about the fact that, you know, they peed themselves when they got shot at. Um, however, because you ran through with them and they know that, that, that you have been there, done that, and you are the same kind of person, they will open up to you more. And that, I think then as a medic in the team, it's going to be your responsibility to go and, and, you know, raise the flag when necessary. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, every, any incident that happens, you know, everyone deals with it differently and it's not about being, you know, the big man, <laughs> you know, I think everyone's got a almost a tolerance of how many incidents you can, how many close calls you can have before you start, your luck starts running out and you start, you know, you're realizing you're pretty lucky to get through these things. So Chris, let's, um, I mean, this is, this is fascinating, right? This is, this is fascinating testimony from you both. And, and I think it really brings everything to life. Uh, pardon the pun. Uh, but what I'd be interested in is just maybe in conclusion, what does the right skill set look like and where can you attain it? Sure, we can increase people's medical skills, but what if they want to become a tactical me medic with an EP? What we need. So, you know, be basic life support is not enough. Being a full paramedic for the whole team is too much. We need to be in between. And there is very nice um, courses, the TCCC course, ITLS, International Trauma Life Support, or PHCLS, Pre-Hospital Trauma Life Support. Courses like those will give more information to them, but not too much because giving them too much information, giving them too much skill will lead to them wanting to become paramedics. And then the, the focus shifts off protection and goes to paramedicine like it did with me. So uh, we don't want that. We just want to give them enough in which they say with this skill set, I am confident I can do good. Basically, we, we, we want the executive protection agent to be able to look at Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, executed by Leonardo DiCaprio, and understand it, but I don't want them to be able to read Shakespeare, because if they can read Shakespeare, they will look too much into it, and they will miss skill. I will read Shakespeare. You just tell me what Leonardo just told I like uh, Juliet, and then we'll be fine. All right, so we're getting closer to that number one. This, mm. this feels like the Christmas countdown for the top <laughs> of the charts, you know? Let's go. Uh, yeah, okay, so in at number two, this was the second most listened to podcast that we put out from last year. Okay. And bearing in mind that this came out only in October, and you might see a trend. We've got, actually got quite a few October podcasts in here. And this one... It's a big one, Drum it's roll. industry standards and regulation with the one and only Richard H. Okay. Did you hear this one, Elijah? No, I, I missed this one um, uh, in person, but I got a chance to catch it, of course, when when we got it ready for production. Uh, and I think if, if we're talking about topics that match up with, you know, uh, uh, with the interviewee, uh, that would be Richard with this one, because, you know, the guy's opinionated, but he knows this stuff and, and he'll, he'll, he'll tell you, um, he'll back up his thoughts. 
You know, he'll yeah. he'll de- he'll deliver the facts. He'll give you his opinion, but he'll he'll say this is why I feel like this. And so, uh, so I think that always makes for a really good uh, guest on the show because you can get a sense of, you can get a feel for them uh, and their experiences, and and he conveys it, you know, you know, over over the airwaves. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have described it better. You He's probably could have described it better, but guy. you know, I mean. no 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 but listen a little tidbit here there's another um another award that this podcast picks up have you any idea what that is is this the longest one something well it's close very very close actually i'm impressed with that it's actually (laughs) we receive the longest answer to one of pelham's quick fire questions (laughs) Of all 50 podcasts. <laughs> well, let, let, let me tell you, I, I have a feeling, I'm going to give you a little hint. I have a feeling on one of our f- early episodes of 2022 that we already have in the can here, we got that beat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what the runtime is, but that. I'm pretty sure. Okay. I, I love it because, you know, in 2021, there was no competition. <laughs> right. So this has really got the stakes. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing when you can up. you can be your own competition. <laughs> I mean, huh? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, without further ado, let's have a recap on this fantastic episode from Rich H and the team on industry standards and regulation. Does the EP industry need more regulation or less regulation? We're here with Richard H. We're going to be looking at licensing what do you think is sort of wrong uh, with the current uh, landscape what what problem do you think needs to be solved that question i could i could answer oh how long have you got really basically is the answer to that one i could waffle on and bore you to tears for eternity the the industry as a whole i think in order to look at the future you need to look at the, the past um, specifically in the last three decades. In answering the question, is the industry in a better place now than what it was pre-SIA? The answer has to be yes, it is. And it, the answer is yes, because um, the two remits of the SIA, one was to remove the criminality of the industry, and the second was to raise standards. So in terms of answering your question, um, <laughs> I mean, the industry is annoying to me it is it actually gets me frustrated because um there are various uh excuses now concerning the level of training there's there's a a certain level of acceptance that this is our lot in life we have to deal with it and get on with it stop the negativity stop whinging about the training stop whinging about um the standards out there and yet if we don't whinge nothing will happen so in terms of where we are with the industry um yes we're in a better place but is it actually fit for purpose and the answer is no it's not and it's not fit for purpose because anyone can enter the industry the training is poor and there's no oversight and so what where where is the industry left with the industry is left with a watered down service that is for the most part unfit for purpose for the end user who is acquiring that service that may be serious. Richard, the other, the passion coming out in your voice, you know, really frustrates you, the SIA, how it's all been rolled out. Just flipping back, what, what do you think's been positive? What, what have they done right? Have they done anything right? That you think, you, you mentioned, I think one positive was getting rid of the criminal element from many years ago. So that was a positive thing, bringing in licensing. But what else do you think the SIA has done right? if anything, in your eyes? Nothing. They haven't done anything right. They, they all have slopey shoulders and say that um, that's not our remit, that's the responsibility of the employer. Yeah, so they're, they're allowing licensing to take place at the minimum standard, and then they're passing the book to the employer. Absolutely. So, so SIA, why isn't there a driving license required? You're basically telling me that a school leaver without a driving license, who is half blind, half deaf, who gets out of breath walking up a couple of flights of stairs, can attend a two week course and provide 
service, serious service, to an end user who actually may have mm -hmm. a serious threat to life. When you actually look at other countries, whether you agree with the SIA level or not, and you look at other countries, let's take the US, for example. So making a comparison between the SIA and the US, there's almost an argument of saying there is no comparison. The SIA are up here, the US are down here. And that's basic. That's basically um, because the SIA is a government body. The US doesn't have one. There's nothing at federal, federal level that impose a set of standards. Some states don't even recognize close protection. Some states say all you need is a, a concealed carry weapons permit. Some states actually impose, uh, I think it is um, uh, Vegas, I may be incorrect, impose a minimum standard of, of a uh, personal protection specialist, I think they call it. But we, I think we're talking two states out of the over 50 states to like, that have a set of standards that you need to pass, but those standards are still very low. What's the private sector do about that in the United States? Well, I mean, this whole discussion thing that the industry on the global scale now is fantastic. People are talking about close protection. People are talking about uh, how to raise standards out there. But for me, it's what, what is the end result of this talk? It's talk. Yes, there are seminars, there are courses and so on and all the rest of it. But there's no, there's nothing that imposes a bottom line standard. When I joined the industry, it mattered what your background was and it mattered what course you've done. You know, people looked at you at the, the provider you trained with and you got a bit of kudos because you'd invested in yourself and you'd went to this provider to do that course. And I think that's been lost now with the rollout of the SIA and the license requirement because now Absolutely. it's just a tick box. For, for a lot Absolutely. of people entering the industry. So it's, it's unfortunate that you can have people that will actually go out their way and look for that best training possible and spend longer on the training, spend more of their hard-earned money on the training and end up with exactly the same license as someone else. The whole thing is, uh, is um, dare I say, it's, it's, uh, the whole thing is shrouded in a, uh, a smoke and mirrors effect where um, you have training providers and operational companies providing a service, a training or operational service done under the banner of, um, we provide the higher standards. We go above and beyond the SIA. We, we know what you need, we can provide it. In reality, that's far from the truth. Um, companies will say, we've got strategic partners. In reality, they don't. What is an end user, a client, actually receiving on the ground? And when someone says, oh, I've got 10 years experience in close protection, what exactly does that experience involve? I can be following someone. I can be following someone around. I can be sat in vehicles, sat in hotel lobbies for 10 years. Is that experience? Is that really experience of close protection? No, it's not. <laughs> anyone can follow someone around anyone can can be sat in a car or a hotel lobby but it's actually what you're doing with your head what are you actually looking out for are you being proactive in your uh, threat and risk mitigation is the client actually receiving a service he thinks he has bought from a company going back to your question Pelham we are digressing slightly yes there are huge positives taken from the industry the industry has um increased for the better over the years. Without a doubt, it has. But let's not forget, what was the start point? The start point was so low. You're talking about courses and garages at the bottom of the garden. So now you have a, a licensed process. You have a somewhat vetted process in terms of criminality. You have a proper regulated and licensed industry. You have an imposed set of standards for a course and you have an industry where more knowledge about the service is now present than it was decades ago. But should we actually stay there? Should we actually say, wow, pat ourselves on the back. We've done a great job. No. <laughs>
I don't know what the number one spot is. So nope. this is going to be a surprise know. to me as well. Okay, so I just yep. I, I just want to key up the audience, let them know we're getting this revealed at the exact same time. It's like the Grammys, you know, when you go okay. to award shows and you open up the envelope, but the presenter learns this at the exact same time as the audience. Now let's it's go. True. <laughs> this, this is going. This is going to be live for effect. So listen, I'm going to try to tease this out of you, though. I'm going to make you work for this. So first of all, I'm going to mm -hmm. give you a clue, okay. and that is, it's one of the podcasts that you co-interviewed on. Uh, I don't know if that narrows it down, though, bro. Um, well, it does narrow it down. That's the okay, whole it thing. It's it just right. <laughs> yeah, 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 not by much. All right. Yeah. Um, okay, let's let's. Can I? Can I get a gender? Is it a male or female guest? No, I'm not going to no. tell you that right yet. <laughs> However, what I will tell you is that this is an early podcast. It came back in March. No, bro. So, I'm drawing you know, a blank. I mean, I can't remember what happened yeah. last week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When this podcast came out, within its first week, it shot to the top of listener favorites. And it's remained there since. So all the way from March of last year through to today, it is still the number one most listened to listeners' favorite podcast. So, so two things. One, that's amazing. And two, I'm drawing a mental blank because I see these lists. You know, I know what what our our, our subscriber uh, listening uh, ratio is in terms of our, our charts, but I can't remember exactly which one this is. So I think that kind of speaks more to me and uh, uh, my, my lack of room in my brain and its hard drive than anything else. So I'm, I'm excited, man. You, you got me waiting. Let's drop it. Yeah. And, and you know, I take my hat off to you because I did offer to tell you this before we went live with the recording, but you wanted to do this live. Okay. This is one of our female guests does that help you were on no. it you spoke to her you <laughs> asked her questions it was the one and only miranda capolse on behavioral analysis and human trafficking nice remember that was now a, yeah, oh sure sure it's a great episode yeah. i mean i interviewed a few female guests so i was i was you know i, yeah. I didn't want to just jump right out and say it was it was her uh but that was a great episode again um, another practitioner that really knows her craft well. She's very articulate. She can explain the things. You know, I, I, again, it was just a, a really good episode. And she's a wonderful individual. Like, just our interactions and stuff have been great. Uh, she's been a, a wonderful supporter of the podcast and the circuit in general. So uh, I'm, I'm really ha happy she made the, the, the number one spot, the pole position. I yeah, and what do you think it is about this podcast that made it so popular with the listeners? Um, again, I just think she did a great job of conveying the subject. Uh, one, I think the topic, too, was a little bit underserved. Uh, so I think it was prime uh, just to be talking about something like that. You know, it, when people think about the protection industry, they're just thinking about guns and drop kicks. And I do think, uh, patting ourselves on the back, that the, the Circuit Podcast does a wonderful job of exploring the, the wider realms of protection and and the different nooks and crannies that you can find yourself into the in the industry and with Miranda she's you know she's she operates in a segment that's very valuable but maybe a little underserviced uh doesn't get as much exposure and she did a great job of of kind of bringing that that part to life to light maybe to life both both are appropriate yeah she definitely shone light on it and she put a lot of life into it. That's for sure. I mean, I really enjoyed. Thanks for the bro. That's that's yeah, why we got no, you, man. No, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed this one, and you know, I, I think uh, I even said this. I think I did. I actually think I got the in the intro to do on this one, and I, I remember at the time li listening to this interview and thinking, you know, how amazing it is that you know we're putting this podcast together, you know, for the listeners, but also for ourselves. I mean, like, this is so self-serving, but I took so much away from this. No, bro, that I, this is what I was trying to convey. And sometimes I don't have the the right words to say it, uh, which is weird because I'm, you know, hosting a podcast. But uh, the, one of the greatest things that I love about uh, the Circuit Podcast is the guests that we have on are guests that 
I would want to listen to, that yeah. I would, would want to just sit back in the car or be at the gym on the treadmill, hit the play button. And so, you know, to your point, even though it's unfortunate because of our operational schedules, we miss the recording sometime, it's still fun to, to play catch up and be, you know, just a fly on the wall. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, should we let the listeners hear it? The number one most listened to podcast of 2021 of season one of the Circuit Podcast, Miranda Capolce, Behavioral Analysis and Human Trafficking. Good stuff. Behavioral analysis and the executive protection professional of tomorrow. What a big topic, but what an important topic. We're going to be joined by Miranda Kopolse, director, MC Global Consultants, big friend of the industry, excellent speaker. You've probably seen her on many, many stages as a keynote, giving us an insight into not just human behavior, but its applicability to the security industry. So Miranda, behavioral analysis, what is your biggest gripe with the industry as it stands? As it stands, um, well, I, I believe that it's really a necessary need for the industry right now, especially because the world is so evolving and, and so much also online evolving that we are almost confused in what is emotion and what is not, what is the right behavior and what is not. All the cultures almost getting mixed up in the online world and we now see with, although not this year traveling, but with all the travel and all the cultures uh, that we experience and all the different groups of people that, uh, that it's really time to understand their way of thinking. We don't live in our little villages anymore. We have to go out and especially in this industry of security. Um, and as Elijah knows, with, uh, with EP and CP, you travel with your clients, you, you come in, you know, you step into the lives of different families and you just have to know who they are, how they think, what they feel and what is normal, observable behavior. One of the reasons why I think this topic is, is so fascinating is because in our industry, sometimes the mindset is we're here to kind of clean up the mess, but, but in theory, if we understood the motivations about why people do a thing, that helps us prevent that. I can already tell that you're approaching it from like a mindset of let's, you know, let, let's figure out why a person is doing the thing. Uh, and that gives us some extra tools. Do, do I have that right? Yes, absolutely. I, I, I really believe because people make it look like rocket science. And I want to show you guys, it's all not that complicated. We all, <laughs> who we are, we are all humans. We all have the same kind of brain. It just works a little bit different sometimes because of our upbringing and our, you know, culture that we, that we came from. But in essence, we can all understand it if we just want to, if we just listen. So when we're talking about you know, detecting specific behavioral anomalies and trying to figure out why a person does a thing. Are you saying that's something that anyone can learn? Anyone can learn the basics. Anyone can learn to understand the basics. Just stand still for a minute and, and just ask like, what is really the problem here? Is there a problem here? And, and what do I need to do if a problem occurs? here just look around ask yourself questions and why is a certain person behaving a certain way is it normal that they do it that way uh, learn to look at yourself so uh, when you feel like you're getting uh, stressed are, at that point really just take a breath and, and think of your thing like with yourself and about yourself what am i doing here what am i for Usually when you're under stress, you immediately react. That's neurologically, that's how we are, you know, but you can learn to just step back for a little bit, especially for instance, a lot of people have those triggers. It's just a little snap with the reality. And that normally we all, you know, need that, but sometimes we don't. And that's because we are just wired that way when we need it. You also work in the human trafficking space, or at least you support yeah. charities and initiatives. What parallels and lessons can be drawn between the two sectors? So it's all about 
questioning if you see something that seems normal because we were all on the train and yes, sometimes somebody has to go to the toilet on the train. But if that behavior seems off, always listen to your gut feeling. Take a breath, look around you. What are, where is that person coming from? How is he come or she coming out? Usually, unfortunately, it's still the he. But also the victims in human trafficking. How can you recognize a person? Because a victim is not walking around with a sign, help me, I'm a victim. But they have certain personality traits, like they don't dare to look up or to other people. They are kind of nervous or they're really quiet. They're sitting by themselves or they are watching at a certain person all the time while that person is not standing with them, but on the other side, for instance, at the gate at an airport. If you just learn about just normal human behavior, really, what is normal human behavior? We all, in essence, know that. And we all, in essence, know a little bit about what's off. And if you don't know that, you can ask and learn about that. You never know what the, what the intention, intention sorry, of the person is. So always, that's why I always teach people, be curious, ask yourself questions. So, so I think you've written about this uh, virtual DNA. You, you talk about your footprint, virtual DNA. It sounds like a cool or scary term, depends how you look at it. Can, can you tell us a bit about what that is? Uh, that is really every click you do on your computer, wherever you are on what, whatever website online, you leave a trace. And there are companies that are following that trace and they are buying the information also. Uh, they're a sort of brokers almost that collect information and sell it. So mm -hmm. from everyone, no one accepted, there is an erroneous profile online. So there is another you, it's not you, but it's the digital you, it's what you do online. And it doesn't mean it is you because that's the same as when you talk about something, all of a sudden you see ads popping up on Facebook or, and you're like, that's a coincidence. I, I just recently spoke to someone about this. And that is your DNA footsteps really uh, that you make. And that although it's not totally you, there are companies that, that really want that stuff and targeting it. The same criminals. with especially criminals. Yes. So if I'm already doing coast protection work and, and, and maybe I, I work full time or I'm looking at transitioning, you know, how is it what, what you do and what you teach that, does that help someone's skill set? Well, for instance, if, if we stay to, to your profession, um, uh, how do you, you know, if, if you do an advance, you already want to know, for instance, at a hotel, who do you get cooperating when, when your client and you arrive and something happens? Who opens the back door? Um, who has a certain room for you available? So you try to recognize the right people for your project. So the little tricks... That, that you can learn because usually if, if you don't train them and if you hear them one time, you just go back to your old default setting. And once you're under stress and you have to arrange things, you go back to what you know. But if you repeat things and learn things, you make new neural pathways and it becomes easy. I, I agree. Um, we might think we know something, but we're looking at it through our own lens as opposed to the environment or the, or the culture that we're in. Yes, it's it's always good to to learn a little bit about the country that you're going through and what is mm -hmm. their normal daily routine of those people. What are they doing? What what is the way they communicate with each other? Mm -hmm. So especially with NEP, when you just start traveling, really educate yourself. You know, watch some movies, watch some documentaries. Ask people in your surroundings, uh, I always say, create that steady group of peers that you can consult. Just ask. Just ask. I love it. It's so simple, yet why aren't we doing it? It's certainly a really important Well, it's topic. also because a lot of people don't dare to ask, right? It's, uh, some people think they should know it all. I think that's also a barrier we need to break. We cannot be all-knowing. And that's okay. And that's, why, and, and that's why we invite people like you onto the podcast so that we can know a bit more. <laughs> well, Miranda, it's been a pleasure. Um, I know uh, you're very active on the BBA Connect app. Uh, thank you for that support. 
and you're very active in the whole community. So it's nice to bring the pages of all of that to life. So from Elida and myself, thank you very much for joining us. You're so welcome. That was so fun. All right, so there we have it. That's the number one most listened to podcast and your top five of 2021. I hope you enjoyed the recap, Elijah. Well, I I definitely enjoyed it. I hope the listeners did too. But I'm also really interested in, particularly for the the longtime listeners, if their list matched our list. And if not, you know, I I, I would dig it if they kind of messaged us. They can use the uh, NABA Protector app or uh, the BBA Connect app. Let us know or find us on the socials and say, hey, your list was BS compared to my list. Yeah. My favorite episode was such and such. I know if I had to speak personally, I would say my favorite episodes are, are just the ones that you appear on, John, just so you know. Yeah, no, I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Cut. <laughs> I left you speechless. I love that. The the outtakes, right? We, we but, probably could have put out a longer outtake episode. Oh, that would be hilarious. I think that's what we should do for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I think the great thing is, though, uh, we, we had a really good 2021 in terms of listener engagement, but we definitely have plans to do much more um, in 2022. We've got some great guests already lined up. We've got some episodes in the can uh, and, and we've got some big plans. So I hope everybody sticks around and, and, uh, and joins us for season two of the Circuit Podcast. Yeah. Tell us what you want to hear. Tell us who you want to get on as guests, you know, we'll do our best. I'm really more looking John, forward to it. All yeah, the time. more John, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, man. All right, this is a wrap. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.